Thank you for taking time out of your day. You could be anywhere else right now, I guess, relatively speaking, but you chose to be here, and I just want to say thank you. Welcome, and uh, just so thankful to the Lord that you chose to be here. Um, we're continuing our series today, Authentic. We're looking at Jesus specifically. Um, I, I uh, started out this sermon series about what it means to be authentic, an authentic follower of Jesus, what that means. You can see kind of uh, uh, this I am statement where I'm going. I'm, I'm taking some of the I am statements from Jesus. We're going to let Jesus speak for himself. What did he uh, what was he trying to relay? What was he saying when he said these statements? And, uh, and I won't go into all of the I am statements um, or, or, or why, the significance of why he said I am. You can uh, listen to last week's message or the week before. But uh, he made some very bold statements while he was on the earth. And it's interesting that as believers, we, you know, and, and in our culture, we can say that, you know, I'm a follower of Jesus and I have a certain set of beliefs and doctrines that I live by. And, you know, and, and people can, you know, maybe disagree. And that's, again, that's why you have a lot of different denominations is there's different ideas and saying, okay, I believe this, but not this. And I will, I believe this and not this and that doctrine. Well, I can get behind that theology, but I believe this or that, um, and so people can kind of challenge us where we're at personally, and that's okay. And I think we need to know why we believe what we believe. But I think it's very important also to say, what did Jesus say? Instead of people speaking for him and, well, I think Jesus is this and I think Jesus is that. And I talked a little bit last week of having a Jesus of our own making, where we kind of create Jesus into a mold that we like of him. We like this teaching, but we just kind of, we're not really sure about that teaching. Let's let Jesus speak for himself. When we think about what it means to be an authentic, genuine follower of Jesus, well, what did Jesus say? And that's where we're at. In John, the book of John, he says seven times, I am, and followed with something. I am, we looked at a couple of weeks, the bread of life. I am the resurrection and the life. I am the gate last week, and today we're going to be looking at I am the good shepherd. It goes with the same passages we looked at last week, and so we're going to, again, allow Jesus to speak for himself, and we're going to look at this other claim that he made from John chapter 10, that I am the good shepherd. So if you have your Bibles, you can turn. If not, it'll be up there on the screen. So we'll go to the next screen, and John 10, starting in verse 11. And so he has just said, and I talked about this last week, that he is the gate for the sheep. Um, last week, we talked about how the shepherd himself would be the gate. He would have these makeshift pens where he himself would sit at the door to guard the sheep. So he himself was the gate. So Jesus is not only saying, I'm the gate, but I am also the good shepherd. John 10, 11, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. The hired hand is not the shepherd and does not own the sheep. So when he sees the wolf coming, he abandons the sheep and runs away. Then the wolf attacks the flock and scatters it. The man runs away because he is a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I know my sheep and my sheep know me. Just as the father knows me and I know the father and I lay down my life for the sheep. I have other sheep that are not of this pen, of this sheep pen. It's a different message for a different day. That's just thank God that it's not 
just the Jewish people, but it was the Gentiles that Jesus came for, so we're the other sheep. I must bring them also. They too will listen to my voice, and there shall be one flock and one shepherd. That shepherd is Jesus. Verse 17, the reason my father loves me is that I laid down my life only to take it up again. This is very profound as it relates to the Easter celebration, Good Friday. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down on my own accord. I have the authority to lay it down and the authority to take it up again. This command I received from my Father. So my question today, is Jesus your shepherd? Notice what he says about hired hands. Those that seemingly look like a shepherd in your life, those who seemingly care about you or the things that we surround ourselves that, um, that we might think care for us or the things that we gravitate to, says when trouble comes along, those will abandon you quickly. But it's the good shepherd that lays his life down for the sheep. It's interesting that Jesus calls himself the good shepherd. This would reveal or indicate that as the good shepherd, he's laying his life down for the sheep, but also that there are bad ones. The good shepherd lays, his down, lays down his life for the sheep. That's good news. Jesus, as the good shepherd, has laid his life down for you and me. And you notice what he says. He says, I have the authority to lay my life down and take it up. And that's exactly what he did. He laid his life down for us. I love, and I've said this before, I love before Pilate. Remember, Pilate is telling Jesus, he said, do you not know that I have the authority to release you or to condemn you to die? And what does Jesus say? Jesus says, you have no authority except what's given to you from above. In other words, let's get the authority structure figured out here. You don't have the authority, I do. And he says here, I have the authority to lay my life down and to take it up again. And so Jesus is the good shepherd. But if he calls himself good, it reveals that there are bad ones. Let's look at John 10, 1, going back to, this is kind of part of last week. But he says this, I tell you the truth. Anyone who sneaks over the wall of the sheepfold rather than going through the gate, who's the gate? Jesus. He says he's the gate. Must surely be a thief and a robber. And so our spiritual enemy, as Jesus says, is the devil himself, and that he is that thief that tries to come in and take us away from the shepherd. So John 10.10, 10, what does Jesus say about the enemy? This is the mission of the enemy. He says, the thief comes to kill, steal, and destroy. So what does he mean by this? Jesus is warning that the enemy will come pretending to be a shepherd to you. We like to think that, you know, that the devil has, you know, this, you know, we like the horns and the pitchfork picture of him. That's kind of an incorrect picture. 2 Corinthians 11, Paul says that Satan masquerades as an angel of light. So he shows up on the scene to deceive, enticing us to get away from the good shepherd. And that's those other things that Jesus is talking about. When somebody comes in, they're trying to take you away and draw you away from the presence of the good shepherd, the protection of the good shepherd. He, he says, that's the enemy, that's the thief. He wants to kill, steal, and destroy. That's what he's trying to do is draw you away 
from being under the care and the cover of the good shepherd. He masquerades as an angel of light. And so his offer can be enticing and enjoyable for a season. He makes his things look very nice. But the end result is that he wants to kill us, steal from us, and destroy us. This goes back to the original encounter when when Adam and Eve are there with, with the enemy in the form of a serpent. And what was the... What was the lie there? It's, it's God is holding out on you. We're calling God into question. So the original sin is this. You shouldn't trust God. God means to hurt you. God means to harm you. God's rules are meant to crush your joy. They're meant to keep you from having a good time. The enemy says to them, did God really say that? He's calling into question God's sovereignty, God's trustworthy promises, because God had given them promises and says, do not touch of this tree. Because once you do, you invite death upon yourself. So what does the enemy say? Did God really mean that? I don't think so. Let's, Let's look at everything. And they begin to listen. They begin to give ear to a different shepherd. And they get enticed away from God's promises and ultimately brought sin upon themselves and us. And we see this whole thing play out every day in our world. Us, those around us, we see the enemy destroying people's lives, stealing from people God's plans and purpose, their peace, their joy, their contentment, and then ultimately trying to kill them. Destroy them. So we see these things happen, and even this last week where you're seeing darkness seemingly rising up like never before on on the earth. Well, this should not surprise us. This was prophesied a long time ago. Steve has quoted this passage more than once, and I've been meditating on it a lot, especially in light of what has been happening. So there's a darkness that will come over the earth, a deep darkness, the people. But that doesn't stop there. There's good news, but there is a light for God's people. Jesus said, you are the light of the world. When we have Jesus Christ, it is the light for the darkness. He is the light for the darkness. We need to shine the light to reveal his goodness and his grace, but we see darkness all around us. But here's the problem. We have all these spiritual problems because they are spiritual problems. It's the enemy enticing people saying, this is a better plan. This is a better thing for you because isn't it interesting when you take a step back and you go, how could someone do that? Don't we ask those questions? How could someone do that? And it's because of spiritual darkness. And so then what does... What, what, what becomes the response is we then would try to find, of course, the church shouldn't, but we try to find human solutions to spiritual problems. Never work. We have a solution. His name is Jesus Christ. That's the hope of the nations. And so the world reveals how much more we need Jesus. And so the church needs to continue to work while it is still day because what is the follow-up of that night is coming when no one will work? 
So we need to be at work spreading the gospel of Jesus Christ. Then Jesus talks about his purpose. He just tells you about the enemy. Here's this thief shepherd who wants to take from you, who wants to entice you away. And Jesus says, as the good shepherd, he has come that you might have life to the full. A rich, satisfying life. Do you believe that for yourself? Do you believe that Jesus wants life for you? A rich, satisfying, contented life He desires that for us, so what's the problem? Here's the problem. We're sheep. We are sheep. He's the good shepherd, and that's what he says about himself. I am the good shepherd. So what does that make us? Sheep. Sheep are the most commonly mentioned animal in Scripture. We are called sheep And that's not a compliment. Isn't it interesting that the revelation of us, he's the good shepherd, we are the sheep. And once we get that revelation that we are sheep, it helps us realize how much we need the good shepherd. We're sheep. Turn to your neighbor and say, you are sheep. And so am I. And see, the good news is, is that's why we need the good shepherd. We need the good shepherd. He wants to be our good shepherd. Problem is, is we forget sometimes that we're sheep. How many guys know that sheep aren't the brightest animals on the planet? If you've been around them, you know that for sure. You're a sheep and so am I. It's hard to train a sheep. We see people doing all other things with animals. They can train them to do certain things, and sheep, really rare. (laughs) So the sooner that you admit that you're a sheep, the better that you are. And this revelation that we are sheep, I think, is important as we move along because we want to see Jesus as the good shepherd. First thing what do we say? You know, the, you know, the whole 12-step thing. The first, first way, path to freedom is to admit that you have the problem. We are sheep. We are sheep. And so to look at this claim of Jesus saying, I am the good shepherd, and we're going to look at what that means. The first thing we need to do is admit that we're sheep. So when we move through this whole thing, it should humble us to say, oh, Jesus, we desperately need you as the good shepherd. Because the good news is you are sheep, I am sheep, but you know Jesus wants to be your good shepherd. So before we look at the shepherd, let's look at what it means to be a sheep. Number one, sheep get lost easily, and they're easily distracted. If you didn't just catch that, sheep get lost easily, and they're easily distracted. Anybody that gets easily lost here, admit it. Come on, you're sheep, so we're, we're just being honest here. You get lost. I like to think that I don't get lost. Um, thank God for GPS, that's all I got to say. But here's what I am notorious for. I will admit this. Other things I won't admit. Just keep denying it, and hopefully it'll go away. Um, you ever go in the grocery store? 
and your wife, if you're a husband, uh, but, or you, uh, you, they, they tell you, and you refuse to write the thing down that you need to pick up. Because by golly, I'm a man, and I don't need to write things down. <laughs> Everybody laughs at that. They know, they know the truth on that. Can you pick up this? But here's the tagline that kills me every time, and anything else that we might need. That just, you totally messed me up completely right there. I've run in some of you at Walmart. You know this story because you'll see me with that perplexed look on my, I'm rolling around and I, all of a sudden you start seeing the things that you, you know, the tagline and the other things that we might need. Have you ever got to the parking lot or worse yet, you're halfway home. Thank God we live in Montevideo where it's three minutes to everywhere. Unless you're in Dawson, then you're really stuck. But you get halfway home, and you got the other stuff, and the one thing that you were told to get, you forget. And you you turn around in humility, hopefully, and you go get that one thing. We are easily distracted. We get easily lost. We all have sheep moments every day in that regard. Easily distracted. This passage from Isaiah 53, you know, it's Jesus, it's the prophecy of Jesus and what he would, the price that he would pay for us. But listen to this. We, all we like sheep have gone astray. Each has turned to his own way and the Lord laid on him the iniquity of us all. We are easily distracted. But there's the promises the Lord laid on him, the iniquity of us all. Romans 3.23 says, all have sinned and fallen short of God's glorious standard. Why do we get lost easily? Why do we get easily distracted? Because we are prone to do our own thing. Aren't we? We are independent control freaks at times. Anybody want to admit that? (laughs) Come on now. We're sheep. You know, we got this. I've got this. I'm in control. This is not a problem. I will take care of this. I will pull myself up by my bootstraps. Talked a little bit about this here. Doesn't work. But we think it will, and we keep trying. We've got this. It's interesting. As I've got this, I can, it's not a problem until crisis happens. Then we want to create the Jesus of our own making. We call rescue Jesus. Crisis Jesus is we are wandering, we're easily distracted, we're easily lost, we push away from the good shepherd, we're out here doing our own thing, we get lost, we get distracted, and then all of a sudden is, I need to be rescued, where's the good shepherd? A lot of times we begin to rail at the good shepherd and we're the ones that drifted away. So it's common for sheep to wander off and get distracted. Like spiritual ADD. Hey, look at this. I wonder what that, hey, oh, what's this do? Go into the grocery store, grab this, grab this, grab this. I forgot what the, you know, we take a right turn left. You know, we're, we're just constantly getting distracted. Us being in control of our lives isn't a strong and noble thing. Some people who have gone through very hard things have endured a lot 
Sometimes it's easy to gravitate toward that I'm going to be strong, independent, and I don't need anything or anyone. It doesn't work. That's not a noble thing. We need the good shepherd. And we admit that we're sheep and we say, God, I do get easily distracted. I'm sorry, Lord, I veer off. It's, it's interesting. One day you'll have a great victory and you're like, yes, God, I love Jesus. The next day it seems like that you, everything's crumbling around you and you're like, God, where are you at? David dealt with this all the time. But admitting that we are sheep, it helps us to realize why we so desperately need a shepherd. Number two, this is common about sheep. Let's go to the next one. Sheep are defenseless. You know, most animals have some sort of defense system against predators. Now, I know sheep can bite and they can kick a little bit, but, you know, they don't last long with a predator. I mean, it doesn't take much if a predator knocks them over, especially. They can't even hardly get up. And so they might last for a brief moment, but it's not going to last very long. And we, like sheep, are defenseless without our shepherd. When we, again, when we independently wander from the shepherd, we are open to the attacks of the enemy and his lies. When we veer off from the sheepfold, that's why unity, that's why togetherness, that's why in Hebrews it says, don't forsake the assembling of yourselves together. You need to come together. You need each other in community. You need accountability. Because when we drift, when we isolate ourselves, that is the time that we are most vulnerable to get picked off from the enemy and believe his lies and to get attacked by him. Isolation. But a lot of times we get isolated, and then when we say is we justify it by excuses, well, somebody hurt my feelings, uh, I was offended, um, and all of those things are legitimate hurts, but we must forgive each other, and that's why unity is so important. Because Jesus said, you're going to get offended. You're going to have reason to be offended. You're going to, have, you're going to have your feelings hurt. There's going to be times, but you have to make allowance for each other's faults. What does Paul say to the churches? He's constantly saying, forgive each other. Give each other grace. Don't isolate and don't make excuses of why you're isolating away. That is where you will get picked off. And a life that is lived away from the good shepherd is a life near an enemy who wants to kill us, steal from us, and destroy us. And again, that is why we so desperately need the good shepherd and the revelation. We are defenseless without him. Number three, sheep are stubborn. Stop looking at your neighbor. <clears throat> It's been said that sheep, when they get stuck in something, like if it's a crag, a rocky crag or something, and they, and they, and they get their heads stuck, you know, that you think that, you know, you, I can't go forward, so I'm going to back out. What do they do? I can get through. And if I push harder and harder and just keep on pushing, keep, go, keep going, keep, you know, and, and, and what happens is they're getting more and more stuck. All the while thinking, I can get through. 
They'll keep pushing forward, pushing forward. Again, stop looking at your family members. But aren't we like that? Aren't we stubborn? I'm going to do my way. I'm going to do it this way and no other way. Nothing's going to stop me. I'm going to keep moving forward. And you're kind of watching them get their heads stuck. You know, if you would back up. Be quiet. I'm just, uh, this, is the, this is the way I'm supposed to go. I know what others have said to me. I know, but I'm going to do this anyway. I know what God's speaking to me, but I'm, I'm strong. I can get through this. And you're like, it's a rock. You ever give somebody advice who's going through something difficult and they don't do what you suggested? There was a, this didn't happen to me, so I can talk about another pastor. There's this older pastor, he's mid-70s, and he did a breakout session at one of the, um, the, our fellowship conventions. And he gave this breakout session called the 25 most important lessons I learned as a pastor. And so the young pastors are writing everything down. One, one of the things he said is this, I stopped counseling people. He said, now, not, not that I won't meet with them and pray with them and maybe talk to them, but he said, it was so frustrating to counsel them to say, okay, you're going through a problem. I'm going to give you counsel. Maybe here's a book to read. And he said, it just was inevitable that the vast majority of them would come back and, well, how you doing? Well, I'm still struggling. Did you read that book? Nope. Uh, did you do those things that I told you to? No, I didn't. But man, I'm still struggling. And he's thinking, I got an idea why you're struggling. If you're not willing to implement what I'm telling you to do, you're going to keep running into the same thing. You're cramming into that rock thinking, yeah, 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 I heard, yeah, I need to, I, I, yeah, I need to read that book, I need to read the word, I need to pray more. But, you know, if I just keep moving forward, I think eventually I'm going to get through. And they come back and they're still struggling with the same issue over and over. We are stubborn. This goes along with that independent spirit that we can have sometimes. And then the fourth one is this. Sheep. Sheep are dirty. Sheep are dirty. Sheep are dirty and they stink and they're not really able to clean themselves. Other animals sometimes can clean themselves. We cannot clean ourselves. Sheep need someone to clean them. So sheep are dirty. That's how we are without our shepherd. What does the Bible say about our righteousness, our morality, our good works? At our very best, at our gold ribbon day, we are filthy rags compared to God's righteousness. And again, Romans 3, we've all fallen short of God's standard. And there's no way we can clean ourselves of the sinful dirt that gets upon us. We can't be good enough. We can't be moral enough to clean ourselves. Sheep need a shepherd, and you and I, we need a savior. And we desperately need him. We desperately need the good shepherd, or we don't have a chance. 
And I love this about the good shepherd. He's the good shepherd who doesn't just tolerate us, but he loves us so deeply that he lays his life down for us. He realizes that we're sheep. He knows we're sheep. He knows our form. He knows our frame. And yet he extends grace and he lays his life down for us. And here's something that's amazing about the humility of God. Is that he loved us so much. Philippians 2 said he, in my own words, basically he forsook his divinity to become humanity. I mean, he was fully God, fully man, but he came and he humbled himself. And what did John the Baptist call him? Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. So Jesus in his humility becomes a sheep. That doesn't mean he's stubborn and dirty. But he became one of us so that he could know us personally and intimately. It's one of his titles is the Lamb of God. The sacrifice. He is the good shepherd and the Lamb of God who was sacrificed for us. And so he's acquainted with you and me in every way. That is good news. You don't get that from any other religion. No other God left and came down and gave his life for us and put it all on the line for you and me. So Jesus becomes one of us, the good shepherd. We are sheep. So let's look at this claim of Jesus as the good shepherd. So what does a good shepherd do? We're, I'm going to be cross-referencing here Psalm 23, a very famous passage that you all know. What I love about this passage, what I love, and David wrote this, but David realized that he was a sheep. David was the king of Israel. How many kings that you've ever studied had that much humility where David said, I know that I'm a sheep? That's why his heart got God's attention. Of David, it is said that God said, he is a man after my heart because it's his humility that got God's attention. If you want to get God's attention, have humility. Realize your deep need for him. And so here's David who writes this psalm. And I think the first powerful thing, you know, because he does say, the Lord is my shepherd. So what is he saying? I am a sheep. The king who realizes he's a sheep. Because it helped him realize how much he needed the good shepherd. So what is it about the shepherd? What does the good shepherd do? Number one, he guides. The Lord is my shepherd. As my shepherd, he guides. Psalm 23, 3, he refreshes my soul. He guides me along the right paths for his name's sake. If you're here today and you're on the wrong path and you're veering off on the wrong path, the good shepherd invites you to say, come and follow me because if you follow me, I will lead you on paths of righteousness. I will lead you the right way. He will never mislead you. He will never lead you astray. He will lead you to life. He will lead you to truth. He will lead you ultimately to eternal life with him. And so if you're on the wrong path, if you've been veering off, maybe you're here today and you don't have any path, well, Jesus is the good shepherd that wants to lead you to life. So he guides. We all deal with decisions that we have to make, big and small. We have daily decisions. 
And most of us can relate to this, that you said at one time or another, I just want to know what to do. Have you ever been there? I just wish God would just tell me what to do. What does he want me to do? And the good shepherd wants to guide you. So how does he do that? If we seek him, we stay close to him, he delights in guiding us. Look from John 10, 3 and 4, it says this. The gatekeeper opens the gate for him. The gatekeeper opens the gate for him, and the sheep listen to his voice. This is the good shepherd. He calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. When he has brought out on his own, he goes on ahead of them, and his sheep will follow him because they know his voice. The sheep follow. And so to be guided by the shepherd, if you want the promise that he will guide you, you must follow him. You must follow him. This is the call of the gospel. What did Jesus say? Follow me. He looked at his disciples and ultimately calls all of his followers disciples. He said, come and follow me. It's very profound. It's very simple, but yet it's very powerful. Follow me. Where's Jesus going? I'm going to find where he's going every day and I'm going to follow him. So how does he guide? How do we know his voice? Well, as we follow, which is the key, he speaks. He speaks to us. How does he speak? He speaks through his word. He speaks through his word. His word is filled with truth and light and life. He also speaks through circumstances. You guys remember the the joke about the guy that was trying to get rescued. You guys have heard that one, I'm sure. You know, he prays to God, God, save me. He's up on his house. The, the floodwaters are rising. God, save me. You know, a boat comes, a helicopter comes, another boat comes. He just says, nope, God's going to take care of me. So he drowns, ends up in heaven, looks at God and says, God, what happened? I prayed that you would save me. And God said, I sent you two boats and a helicopter. I'm not quite sure what else you were looking for. Sometimes our circumstances are screaming at us, and God is speaking through that, and he's calling us to be faithful and maybe to take a step of faith through that, but he speaks through his word, he speaks through circumstances, he speaks through others. That's why we have people in our lives, that's why accountability is so important, to have somebody in your life that will challenge you and ask you those hard questions. How are you doing really? You know, not, not the good old Western, how you doing, and you keep on walking. We're all guilty of that. You know, how you doing? We're hoping that they're not going to say much. How you doing? Good, good, bap, high five, I'm on my way. What, man, what would do if people started being really honest? I had a girl, there was a, a friend of mine, this girl that was in college, and she was honest with everyone, and we almost kind of told her, you're almost a little too honest. Because you wouldn't ever ask her how she's doing. Because then you're locked in for about an hour. She's going to tell you how she's doing. Which some of that was refreshing. Some of it was, oh no, I'm just meant to give you a high five. I'm out of here. But we need people in our lives. God speaks through others. What is he saying? God speaks through spiritual gifts, the prophetic word of the Lord. Prophetic messages. You guys heard a couple of those this morning where God speaks to his people through other people into our lives. 
And so we follow him. Again, that's again, we train ourselves to hear him. When we are following, when we are near him, we will begin to recognize his voice because he is speaking. Is he your shepherd today? Are you following him? Do you know him? Do you have a relationship with him? Do you spend time with him? That's the way that you begin to recognize his voice, what they say, that he will know my voice. But it's about closeness. It's about relationship. It's about following him. Then you recognize the voice. I talked about my wife a little bit. I'll talk about her again this week. But I could, somebody could blindfold me in a crowded room. And you could have many conversations going on and just have my wife talking. It wouldn't take long before I would recognize her voice because I'm close to her. And I would go find her. And it takes intimacy, it takes closeness to recognize his voice. He wants to lead you as the good shepherd. He desires it. He loves you. But he needs you to be close and following Again, as stubborn sheep, what do we do sometimes? We drift away, we take our own path, and we're way out in left field somewhere, and we're, why isn't God speaking to me? We sometimes rail against him, and he's saying, I'm inviting you to come. I've been going this way, and you're not following me. I need you to follow me. And I love that it says that he calls us by name. If you're here today, and you've never understood the personal side of God, this is what Jesus is revealing here about himself is he's a very personal God that loves you and he knows you by name. He knows you personally. And he wants to speak to you, but we have to be close and we have to follow him. Number two, what does the shepherd do? Is he provides. He provides. Psalm 23, 1 through 3a, the Lord is my shepherd. I lack nothing. I have all I need. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He refreshes my soul. So if the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want or I I lack nothing. What does David mean by this? He's saying, in him, in the good shepherd, I have all I need. I have all I need in him. Does he provide those earthly things that we need. Yes, he does. But ultimately, as we get him and he is what we need in him, we lack nothing. So with the good shepherd, he will make us lie down in green pastures. I like how it says he makes us sometimes because as sheep, we have to be made to lie down in green pastures. This indicates rest, peace, and contentment from God. He makes me lie down in green pastures. In his presence, there is rest, there's peace, and there's contentment. So a sheep will lie down when they are contented and well-fed and secure. A sheep will lie down when they are contented, well-fed, and secure. And our good shepherd is aware of what we have need of. This is, this, I believe this is for somebody today, our stress our anxiety and our worry aren't going to help us get the answer that we're looking for. And Jesus is saying, as your shepherd, I want to take that stress and that anxiety. Remember what he says also to his followers? He says, cast your cares upon me. 
take my burden upon you because it's, it's a light burden. I care about you. Take all that worry, that anxiety, that fear that is surrounding you about decisions, about maybe the life that you're in, and throw it upon me because I care about you. And in me, you will lack nothing. And he says, I want you to be contented, well-fed, and secure. And when we trust him, we go, okay, God, you got it. It's in your hands. My worry is not helping me today. I lay down the worry, and we trust him. Then it says he leads me beside quiet waters. Notice not raging waters. Again, this is the peace that we find in him, the peace that passes understanding. I love that passage, peace that passes understanding. In other words, I should be stressed, but I have God's peace right now. What does Jesus say about peace? He said, my peace I give to you, my peace I leave with you, not as the world gives. You will not find peace and contentment in the world. You will find temporary happiness, no doubt. But that will run its course and you will come on the other side not feeling truly fulfilled and contented. And Jesus says, as my sheep, I want you to follow me and I will give you my peace. And the world around us, and this is like the raging waters where we could drown, he leads us beside quiet, peaceful waters in his presence. And what do we do? If I could just get this, if I could just, if, if I just had a million dollars, if I could just have that, if I could just get that pay raise, if, and we just live this life, if, if I could do this, and we play these scenarios over our mind, and God is saying, stop that and come to me and let me give you my rest. He himself is our living water. That's what he said to the woman at the well. If we drink of him, we will never thirst. We won't be going from this stream to that stream to find peace and contentment in all the wrong places. And that's what the thief shepherd does. He will lead you to all these wells that will end up drying up and you will be worse off than you were before. And he tries to keep you from the living water, the real shepherd of your soul that wants to give you the peace and contentment that you so desperately need. And what does Paul say in Philippians 4? He says, we can have contentment regardless of our circumstances. doesn't matter what's going on around us. We can find contentment in Christ. Number three is this. He corrects. That's why I brought my little trusty, just in case things got out of hand today. It's nice. Doug gave me this as a gift. Isn't that cool? If I go by and hook your neck, don't, don't be offended. Um, it does remind me that in the old school, there were some old school churches, and maybe you guys have read about this in, in my church history, they talked a little bit about this, it's kind of funny, but they had these long poles, and if you were falling asleep in church, the usher would just pop you right on top of the head, and you would, wait, and you would wake up. Any sleepers here today? This is my rod today, it's a baseball bat, but I thought, hey, you know, it works. In case things go, go crazy today. Um, my rod and my staff, they comfort me. When David says, you can look at these and do these look like objects of comfort? They look like you want to hurt me. Um, but when we realize we're sheep and the shepherd is good, these are objects of comfort. 
His rod and the staff, they comfort me. He corrects, and these objects protected, which we'll look at in a moment, but it also brought correction. Stay close to the Good Shepherd and don't despise his correction. You know, we've looked at correction as a negative thing. You know, discipline, correction. But you know, it's an incredibly loving thing. It's one of the most loving things that can happen to us. It says this about God. He disciplines those he loves. So if you're ever going through correction or discipline, you can take heart that, and just think, God loves me so much that he corrects me and he disciplines me. And here's what the thief shepherd will do. He'll try to make God's discipline a bad thing. Did God really say that? God's holding out on you. If he really loved you, he wouldn't correct you. And that's kind of been pervasive in our culture. Well, you know, if you love your kids, don't bring discipline to them. Hello. Good luck with that. But the thief shepherd will try to make God's discipline, God's correction, a bad thing. In fact, he'll say, if you're getting disciplined or corrected, it might be better if you just went off on your own and did your own thing. Because God, God doesn't really love you. That's not really a loving thing. That's a harsh thing. That's a critical thing. The lies of the devil. The thief shepherd who wants to take from you. Hang around me and I won't discipline you. I won't bring correction. You can do whatever you want in my sheep pen. No, he won't discipline you, but he'll kill you. As you weigh him out. um, But those he corrects, he blesses. Job 5, 17 through 18. Blessed is the one whom God corrects, so do not despise the discipline of the Almighty, for he wounds, but he also binds up. He injures, but his hands also heal. Those he corrects are blessed, so don't despise it. He wounds, he injures, but he also heals. Do you know that was common back in those days of what the shepherd would do with a little sheep? that tended to wander? Some of you guys know. He would take his rod, which was kind of like a bat, but if this sheep had the tendency to roam off and run off and continue, well, the shepherd knew the big picture. So if he keeps doing that, he's going to get destroyed. The enemy's going to pick him off. There's going to be a predator that's going to devour him. And so the, the, the good shepherd, seeing this, would take the little lamb, and I know this sounds brutal, but he would take the little lamb and he would do what? Take one of his legs and crack it and break his leg. And we can say, well, that sounds so harsh, that sounds so mean, that sounds so cruel. But the good shepherd sees something way bigger. Because here's what will happen after the shepherd would do that. Because for a season, and maybe you've seen this, I've got a picture in my office that somebody gave me, and it's just a constant reminder, I love looking at that, is the the sheep, this little lamb, is now on the shepherd's neck. 
Now his leg is broken. The shepherd has to now tend to him. But what happens is he actually gets, gets closer to the shepherd than all the other sheep. And it becomes a time of intimacy. It becomes a time of trusting. And then the sheep all of a sudden says, well, that really hurt, but he's not out just to destroy me. And over time, something interesting would happen is the little lamb that had its leg broken and he would heal up. He would be so close to the shepherd. And he would build a trust in the shepherd like none of the other sheep would have because of the discipline, the correction, being so close around his neck. So when you are under God's discipline and correction, you're actually on the neck of the shepherd because he loves you and he sees the big picture. He sees that when you get away from the sheepfold, when you're wandering, that you're open for all kinds of attack. And so then, as Job said, he wounds, but he also binds up, so he will see you through the healing process. So to allow the good shepherd to work in you and don't despise it. It's interesting, Proverbs, the reading in Proverbs today and the one in your Bible says, if you, correct, if you accept correction, you will be honored. But there's also another proverb that says that if you reject discipline, you are what? It's Stupid. I mean, that's what the word says, stupid. Not my, that's the Bible. If you reject correction, you are stupid. Ignorant, because you don't realize the good that is coming to you. It's like protecting a child from danger is another picture that I have given before, especially in talking to teenagers when I was youth pastoring and Talk about their parents' discipline, which they didn't tend to favor all that much. But I said, what would happen if you saw a little baby crawling toward a weapon, a knife, or crawling out into the middle of the street? What would you do? I would do whatever I could to get them, you know, yeah, even to the point where if a car's coming, you might would tackle them or yank them. Well, that might not seem a very loving thing to do. Why did you tackle me? Because you did not see what was coming. That's what the good shepherd does for us. He protects us. Hebrews 12, 11 says this, and I love the honesty here. No discipline seems pleasant at the time. Have you ever disciplined your kid and they go, yay, it's time to get grounded. This is the best news in the world. No discipline seems pleasant at the time, but painful. It's honest. It hurts. Later on, however, it produces a harvest of righteousness and peace for those who have been trained by it. So it's not fun, but it will produce righteousness and peace. So again, the shepherd offers loving discipline. The enemy wants to kill you. Your your choice. It's up to you. Number four, he protects Psalm 23, 4 through 6, and I'm going to be winding down with this one. Even though I walk through the darkest valley of the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table for me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely your goodness and love will follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. 
So I don't have to fear when I'm with my good shepherd. I don't have to fear death. I don't have to fear the unknown. I don't have to be driven and dictated by my circumstances and my emotions when I'm with the good shepherd. Because the rod and the staff also beat back predators to rescue the sheep from harm. If a sheep would fall into water, that crook would help pull them back into a place of safety. Protection is available to those who are near the shepherd. This is why going off on our own, being in control of our lives is futile. What does it say? He anoints my head with oil. I love that and the idea of where we're at because our battlefield is in our mind. The oil that the shepherd would use was, is a mixture and they would put it on the sheep's head. It was somewhat like an insect repellent to keep the pesky flies from buzzing around because what would happen is the flies, if they didn't have this oil, the flies would get and they would land eggs into the nose area Well, this larva would grow and sometimes it would crawl up into the brain and sheep were known to go crazy and they would begin to bang their head against something. It would absolutely drive them mad to the point of death. Isn't that very spiritual? When the lies of the enemy get into our mind. Joyce Meyer wrote a book and Francis Frangipane and, and there's several great speakers and authors that talked about the battlefield of the mind. So the enemy tries to get into our mind with lies, little things, little justifications, deception, deceit, getting you to believe something else, getting you to follow here and getting you away from the good shepherd. And ultimately, it will drive you crazy when you listen to the voice of the enemy. I think this is why it's interesting in Romans 12, Paul talks about transformation, but what does he say? It begins in the renewing of your mind and how we think. Transformation begins in the mind. Stay close to the shepherd and allow him to anoint your head with his anointing and with his truth. Let him tell you who you are. And then he says, my cup overflows. Again, with the good shepherd, we have all we need in him and more. In him, your cup can overflow, even if your circumstances aren't good. A couple of weeks ago, I talked about Jesus saying, I'm the bread of the, uh, I am the bread of life. So he's enough, and his love will follow me as I make him my shepherd. So he's the good shepherd that lays down his life for the sheep. And I want to look at one last passage as we close from Luke chapter 15. Quoted this a couple weeks ago, but it's interesting as it relates to Jesus being the good shepherd. You wonder, you wonder what Jesus feels about you? Listen to this. Now the tax collectors and sinners were all gathering around to hear Jesus. But the Pharisees and the teachers of the law muttered, this man welcomes sinners and eats with them. Then Jesus told them this parable. <clears throat> Suppose one of you has a hundred sheep and loses one of them. Doesn't he leave the 99 in the open country and go after the lost sheep until he finds it? And when he finds it, he joyfully puts it on his shoulders and he goes home. Then he calls his friends and neighbors together and says, rejoice with me, I found my lost sheep. I tell you in the same way, there will be more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who do not need to repent. Jesus is in pursuit of you and me. I like when he says, suppose one of you, and he's talking a lot about himself. He says, you know what? I will go after a lost sheep. 
Because we all at one time, whether you've been with the Lord or not, if, if you have been walking with the Lord for some time, you were at one time lost. You were a lost sheep that Jesus found. And he looked for you. And he pursued you. If you don't know him today, he's looking for you and he's pursuing you. And he wants to give you life. And I love that picture too because he says he will stop at nothing to find you. And once he finds you, he makes an invitation. I'm the good shepherd. I want you to follow me. And I'll lead you into paths of righteousness. I will lead you to green pastures. I will lead you to abundant life. And then we make that decision to say, I'm going to follow him or not. Just as he looked at his disciples and said, follow me. And then he turned and walked and they had to drop their nets and follow him. Who is Jesus? He is the good shepherd. He knows you by name and he offers you a rich, full, and satisfying life. You and I are both our sheep and we need the good shepherd. So are you tired of living your own life? Are you tired of getting lost easily and being stubborn, being dirty, trying to figure it out all on your own? Well, Jesus, the good shepherd, says, come follow me and I'll give you life. And so our response is to surrender to him. Let's pray. Jesus, we love you today. And Lord, we just in our own hearts say, God, we desperately need you. Lord, we admit that we are easily distracted. Lord, we are control freaks. Lord, we admit that we're defenseless, but we think we can take care of ourselves. Lord, we admit that we are stubborn, but we don't think we are. And Lord, we admit that we're dirty and we cannot clean ourselves. We desperately need you. Thank you that you're the good shepherd, that you know us by name. Today, if you're here, I just want to give an opportunity and and let's say, you know, just that you have been on your own path. You've been on your own journey. You've been rejecting God and and, uh, trying to figure this out on your own. And today, the good shepherd says, I want you to follow me. And you're kind of tired of living it on your own. And you would like to follow Jesus. Would you raise your hand? Because I want to pray for you. Anybody? Thank you. There's a few hands that went up. Let's pray for these guys. Lord, I thank you for these hands that went up. I thank you for the honesty of the heart. There's no magic in putting your hand up. It's just simply saying, I... I, want to recognize and it just helps me to pray for you Lord I, I, I just more than the, the hand Lord you see the heart and I pray God that you would draw near to these precious people that you love so deeply Lord I pray that all of us would follow you that we would follow you God wherever you lead us today we're going to end our time with communion um, this will be how we close our service and so I won't have a formal dismissal, but after you have finished taking communion, you are free to go if you need to. And, but if you would like to, you can hang out here and just be with the Lord for a bit. We'll have a, 